Welcome, welcome, guys, and thank you so much for tuning in. This is your host, Cynthia Rusty Moy. Guys, I'm just diving right into it, and I'm beyond measure and excited to be doing so. How is K-12 education funded? And I want to discuss it right here to give you the idea. If you're looking for funding opportunities, how to do it, why we should do it, and where to do it, you're listening to the pro proper channel. Public schools for students in kindergarten through 12th grade are financed through a combination of local, state, and federal dollars and proportions. That varies across within states. In 2019 through 2020 school year, the most recent data available were spending for about public to K through 12 education totaled anywhere to 77.77 billion from all sources reflecting and increasing for the eighth consecutive year. State and local governments provide the vast majority of funding for K through 12 education. 93% of school funding, state governments rely on formulas that distribute education funds among school districts. Those school districts are state dollars and additional revenue raised from federal and local sources to fund individual schools. Although both states and lo um, local teams apply to uh, attend to allocate funds fairly. So, Disproportionate, nevertheless, occur. Those disproportionate primary stem from sources of revenues and the varying costs of providing education in each school district. So, meanwhile, the federal government provides a small share of educational funding through specific grant programs. They are designed to supplement funding for schools with at-risk youth, including students with disabilities or from low-income households. During these recent economic downturns, Federal spending has also helped supplement diminished school funding from state and local sources. And I'm going to discuss that. So the federal funding program, K-12, through which is the federal government provides support for K-12 through education through specific grant programming administrated by the states to school districts. Those programs include Title I grants under the Elementary and Secondary Educational Acts and Part B grants under the Individual Disabilities Education Act. Federal funds made up to just $57.8 billion, or 7% of total educational funding, during 2019-2020 school year. Federal dollars supplement state resources by narrowing funding gaps for at-risk students. So, Title I is ESEA. Title I grants provide funds to school districts serving large shares of low-income students. It is the largest grant program of the ESEA, right, totaling $14.1 billion during 2019-2020 school year. Those fundings, guys, are allocated through four formulas that are based in the number of eligible students and several provisions, including state target level of funding per student and eligible students, including children ages 5 to 17, which would be low-income families, which about 97% are eligible children. Number two, institutions for neglected or delinquent children or in foster homes. And three, families receiving temporary assistance or needy family payments. Okay. But the Part B idea and other programs 
during the 2019-2020 school year is the federal government provided 11.6 billion in the IDA grants to states. So guys, the funding are awarded through a formula based on a state total population disability between the ages of three and 21. The percentage of those individuals living in poverty and at that state is IDA proportion in 1989. The federal government also allocated $15.6 billion for children nutrition, which was used to reimburse schools that provided free or reduced price lunches to eligible students. So about $4.4 billion of federal funding went directly to school districts for various programs, including Impact Aid, Indian Education, Head Start, Following Through Magnet Schools, Dropout dem Demonstration as Assistance, Gifted and Talented, in addition to the federal government providing $0.6 billion for vocational programs and $11.5 billion on the after-mentioned program for which reporting units could not provide distinguishing amounts, right? So state funding formula for K-12 education. States use formulas that aim, at least in part, to adequately distributing education funding across school districts. Although their ability to do so is limited by resources available. So these formula accounts for local raised revenues and the needs of students in each district, as a result, the state share of education funding tends to be higher in school districts with a low capacity to raise revenue. So state funding is also higher in school districts, right? Which a large concentration of students who are English language learners have low family incomes or have other special needs, right? So there's a lot of things that we need to think of. But most importantly, let's look at it this level. Nearly all states, 46 out of 50, primarily allocate education funds through foundation program formulas, such as programs establishing a minimum level of foundation of funding per student and ensuring that each school district receives enough school funding to meet the foundation. So the funding provided through foundation programs may also take into account different student characteristics such as family income, disability status to ensure at risk students receive significant resources, right? So with a short commercial break, I want to discuss coming back, local funding methods for K through 12. And I don't want you guys to go anywhere. Stay tuned. This is the benefits of this episode to give you an idea of how local funding methods K through 12 works and how you can take part and see what the funding is that your child is eligible for. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, guys. If you just tuned in, don't go anywhere. You're joining with Rusty Moy, your host of the hour. How is K-12 education funded? So if you just joined in, you can find out here about K-12, what funding is available, what programs is available, and how you and your child can be eligible right here. So as I continue on, local funding methods for K-12. In addition to the revenue allocated by the federal and state government, school districts raise additional school funding at the local level. In general, by leveling local property taxes, once revenue is raised and allocated from federal, state, and local sources, 
school districts are tasked with distributing that funding to each school in that district. So school districts have typical allocated teachers, administrators, equipment to each school while calculating funding per student. So retroactively based on the resources assigned. So in recent years, a number of school districts have moved away from that process and have begun to develop budgets for individual schools that apply the concept of wage student funding formulas to assign resources based on student needs. So proponents in student-based allocation argue that it would improve transparency by reflecting actual expenditures per school and promote equity by linking uh, resources to specific needs. However, many states have layers of rules that limit the application of the new approach. Moreover, as relatively new practices among school districts, comprehensive research on its effects is not yet available. So, why does education funding differ across school districts? Well, nearly 40% of funding for public education uh, stems from local property taxes, and as a result, funding can vary widely among school districts based on the wealth of families living in them. So, school districts with high value property are often able to fund their schools, which means above the minimum level established by the state, contributing to wider disparities, right? So those disparities become more apparent during economic downturns because of wealthier school districts benefiting from the relatively stable revenues from property taxes. So, in contrast, Funding for school districts more relevant on the state and specifically a state income tax tends to vary with economic performances. So ultimately, the variation in school finances systems produce uh, disparate results with some states spending far more on each student than others. So what does that mean for most folks? So the differences in wealth among districts are particularly attributable to remnants of racial covenants, legal contracts embedding in property deeds to prevent non-white people from moving in. Although these covenants have not been enforced for decades, uh, their impacts persist today. So for example, in 2019, an analyst of ED Built found that predominantly non-white districts received 23 billion less than predominantly white districts from state and local governments despite serving the same number of students. So despite districts allocating resources based on standard factors like student-teacher ratios, in practices, school fairly distributing funding per student uh, between schools, there can be significantly disparities in the amounts of uh, actual spent on schools within a district. So that can partially stem from the school district practice of distributing resources, not dollars, which masses higher spending for some schools. So for example, a school assigned to educators with more experience would receive a higher funding for teacher compensation. While state financing programs aim to fairly distribute funding and resources across all school, school districts. So no state is capable of fully equalizing funding disparities and those disparities are driven from differences among districts to the cost of education as well as the ability and willingness of districts to spend money on education and why financing from federal governments has resulted in increasing funding for disadvantaged students this means a financing is also limited so how is, how has education funding 
changed over time? That's the big question. And this will be on my polling. Over the past century, guys, the local share of education funding has declined. Number one, with state funding largely making up the differences, the federal share of education funding has been relatively constant over the last 40 years after generally rising from 1920 to 1980, right? So state revenue stems are important tool in limiting funding disparities, right? But can be particularly violated during recessions, leading to reductions in funding for programs like education and in recent economic downturns, for example, during great recessions, federal support has increased to offset declines in state resources. However, while federal funding was used to um, mandate state level declines during 2007-2009 recession, the average education funding declined when the economy recovered and federal funding tampered off. So many states did not compensate for the loss of federal funding in 2019 and 17 states spent less than uh, they did in 2008. So inflation terms kind of like flip-flopped around. So in response to COVID-19 pandemic, the federal government spent an additional $200 billion to states and local districts in emergency funding for K-12 education, number one. And although the complete data since 2020 to 2021 school year is not yet available, uh, that investment is nearly quadrupled the amount of previously spent by the federal government on K-12 funding and will significantly increase the share of educational revenue received from federal resources. And that spending was intended to insist schools at responding to the pandemic while maintaining academic process, progress. So the federal spending on K-12 education is expected to return to pre-pandemic level in subsequent years, right? So in my conclusion, K-12 education funding is an important investment in our future for all of us. Understanding the complicated joint commitment and the relationship among local, state, and federal government to fund education is a key part of discerning its place in the budget, among other uh, properties and against the backdrop of an unsustainable federal um, physical outlook, right? So I think that K-12 education is not only vital to all people, but we must invest in our children's future now. So if we can't find funding, let's look at putting, you know, a dollar, two, $2, $3. Let's build up to 5 to $10 in a jar, right, to save for the funding. We can't put it in a financial institution or we can't find, um, I think it's a 502 plan or something like that to try to invest into our child's education. That's do it the old school way and put it in a jar, put it away, and let's invest small and let it build up. Because they're in kindergarten now, but before you know it, they'll be out of high school and off to college. And even if they're in kindergarten now and you wanna put them in a private sector, that's save up for school uniforms now. That's do um, you know, fundraisers now. That's do car washes, that's do bake sales, that's do food, let's do raffles, let's do anything we can do as a fundraiser to help with child's uniforms, textbooks, um, the first year of second grade, now while they're in kindergarten. That's planned for the next two years ahead of time. So pre-planning for educational resources is key in a horrible inflation that we're in now that's only going to get worse over time. So you have to plan now to see what long term it's going to be. So if you're planning 
fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade um, for private sector or archdiocese, that's save up now if you're in kindergarten. If your child's not in first grade, that's start now finding the educational funding and the resources to help them in their progress. There's funding opportunities available and I can help you work alongside you to give you those resources and put you in the hands of funding approval and funding opportunities and um, letters of recommendation and ways to go about it to take a placement test or some type of assessment to see if your child can be awarded $1,000, $500, $2,000, That's work together to see what's available. Even if your child's only qualified for the 200 for just writing an essay, that's something that can go to textbooks, to tuition costs, towards school uniforms or something else, or maybe summer camp for next year. So find ways to invest in your child's education today. I thank you so much for listening to the channel. I thank you so much for walking with me in this journey. But most importantly, that's plan for our child's educational resources.